Let's turn together to Daniel 9. Daniel chapter 9. That's on page 699 of, of your church Bibles. It's also in your service sheets uh, if you want to turn there. Daniel 9, just continuing as we, we go through, we're going to... Uh, we're going to finish Daniel in, in the next three weeks. We're not. We're, we're going to take a little break on the 24th just because I feel like if we're inviting people, new people in, they may not quite understand uh, some of the... It, it, it's a bit of the deep end, isn't it? Uh, these, these latter chapters of Daniel. But Daniel 9 is actually a, a little bit simpler until we get to the very end. Uh, but you'll see that for yourselves in a moment. It's a, it's a prayer of Daniel. Uh, that we see tonight. Daniel 9, beginning in verse verse 1 and reading through to the end of the chapter, verse 27. This is God's word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, by descent of uh, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listen to your servant, servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because, our, for our, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. 
Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat but at a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Now, I, I know I use this illustration fairly regularly, but I think having a, a queen actually gives us a wonderful picture of how we, how we relate to, to God, the true king. And if you're invited to, to come before the queen, There'd be certain protocol, wouldn't there? You wouldn't just turn up and, and act how, how you normally would act. You would there would be rules that you would want to follow. And you, you would be very careful to read up on those and and do what you're supposed to do and not do what you're not supposed to do. Things like uh, you know, you don't speak unless you're spoken to. That's one of the rules. Or when you first see her majesty, you you bow if you're a man, or you curtsy if you're a woman, and you refer to her as your majesty. You're not supposed to turn your back on the queen or something like that. There's, there's lots of little rules, aren't there, that you're meant to follow. If you, if you go before uh, royalty, and, you, and that's in order to show them proper respect and, and deference, isn't it? And you would probably uh, nervously turn up to the palace with, with a bit of a plan in your mind of how you would behave before the queen. Now, often we approach God and we want to throw out all the rules, don't we? We want to approach him like he's one of our mates and we're just having a, having a little catch-up. 
But when we look at, at prayer in the Bible, and we're going to be looking at, at, at several prayers over uh, the summer, summer weeks in our morning service, but, but when we look at prayers in the Bible, we should notice how, how God's people throughout history have, have approached him. And this evening, Daniel provides us with a, a wonderful example of how we approach a holy and righteous God in prayer. It's an exile's prayer for restoration, isn't it? As, as we've been saying for weeks now, the, the book of Daniel gives us a picture. It helps us to, to understand a bit of, of how we, we, we as believers live in these, these days of secularism. And this prayer is no, no different. In fact, I believe it's, it's actually an invitation to boldly come before God and to pray for the coming of our, our Savior Christ Jesus and his return. There's actually three things for us to see this evening as we, we come to this prayer. First of all, why we approach the king. Secondly, how we approach the king. And then lastly, the, the answer to our prayers is Jesus. So first, let's see why we approach the king. Let's first uh, notice the setting of this prayer. You'll remember the last couple of weeks we've been given insight into, uh, into the things God has revealed to Daniel during the reign of, of Belshazzar, the, the king who was removed from power in a single night when the, the writing was, was placed on the wall. I think it's worth pointing out that, that what we, we're, we're getting in the, the latter half of Daniel is actually a, a bit of a behind-the-scenes look uh, at what Daniel knew and was told by God. The first half of the book gave us the, the, the upfront ministry, you know, the, the public work of Daniel. But now we're getting that that look of what was going on in Daniel's own spiritual life. And the time frame now for tonight has, has moved forward to the reign of Darius, the, the man who followed Belshazzar. He overthrew him uh, back in chapter, chapter 6. And Darius, you'll remember, gave Daniel tremendous power in the kingdom, didn't he? And he, he gave him, uh, he, he, made, he was about to make him the, the top ruler, only, only second to Darius himself. When Darius was, was tricked by his officials into to signing a law that said that no one could pray to, to any other god except for Darius himself for 30 days. And the penalty, of course, was to be thrown into the lion's den, which we, we remember Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and he survived because of the mercy of the one true and living God. We all know then that, that Daniel was a man of prayer, wasn't he? He got thrown in the lion's den for praying. He was, he's a man whose life was marked by prayer. So the fact that we have an example here of one of his prayers shouldn't, shouldn't be surprising to us. But why this particular prayer? Well, this was a, a momentous prayer in Daniel's life because of when he prayed it. Not to mention the answer that he received, but we'll look at that in a few minutes. But what, what prompted Daniel to pray? Did you notice that? Well, we're told in verse 2 that Daniel was, was reading scripture he was reading God's word, and he discovered in the prophet Jeremiah that the, the time had elapsed for when God had promised to restore his people and to end the desolation of, of Jerusalem and to restore worship there. That, that time was said to be 70 years. So why does Daniel pray? He, he prays because he's prompted to do so by God's word. And that's, that's not insignificant, isn't it? Is it? especially for a man who, who's received his own word and visions from, from the Lord. You would think a, a prophet had no reason to be reading the scriptures. Why would a prophet of God search God's word? Well, he, he clings to God's word, doesn't he? 
and he allows God's word to, to define his spiritual life. This is critical for us to understand and, and, and actually to adopt ourselves. Why do we pray? Well, the answer is quite often because we have something that we, we want. We have something that we, we need from God and we, we want him to do. And we think if we just pray hard enough, then, then God's going to give us the thing that we ask for. But that's not what we see in Daniel, is it? God's word, God's, God's desires are what drive Daniel to pray. And specifically, his, his prayer is driven by the, the promises God has made to his people. See, Daniel's heart, his desires are for the very things that, that God desires and has promised him. He could have prayed for, for a better life in the palaces of Babylon. Or he could pray that he, he would be a faithful witness for God in his, in his work. Or even that he could uh, accept Babylon as, as his home. He'd, he'd been there for, for so long now. Those would all, on the surface, appear to be reasonable prayers, wouldn't they? After all, they'd, they'd been in Babylon for 70 years. That's, that's when the exile had begun. Daniel's, Daniel's getting old. You know, a generation or more has passed. It's about time to, to accept his place, isn't it? And the place of God's, of God's people in exile. Maybe it was time to even stop calling it exile and just start calling it home. I wonder what you remember about the 1950s. I don't think anyone in here was alive in the 1950s. Anyone remember the 1950s? Kids, what do you know about the 1950s, my kids? There was a Korean War. There was a Korean War? Okay. Yeah. Gus, anything? No. Lottie? No. Yeah, you don't know anything except there was a Korean War. Good. That's more than I knew. I forgot about that one. Well done. Yeah, uh, none of us were there, were we? I wasn't there. No one in this room uh, was there. At least no one who's going to take credit for having been there. Uh, anything we might know about the 1950s was passed down to us, wasn't it? From our, our parents, our grandparents, or our, our great-grandparents. Or we've read it in, in a book somewhere. That's what we're talking about when it comes to Israel's exile. Exile was, was quickly becoming no longer exile. It was, it was just becoming life. It was like if, if your, your parents or grandparents had immigrated to this country in the, in, in the 50s, you wouldn't, you wouldn't consider yourself, you know, a, whatever culture you're from. You'd consider yourself to be British, wouldn't you? But what Daniel longs for, more than anything in the world, even more than his own comfort or earthly security in his old age, what Daniel longs for is for God to be glorified and to be worshipped properly by his people. And what Daniel knows is that that cannot be done in exile. Daniel longs for the very thing God has promised in his word to give his people because he set his heart on the things of the Lord. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? That's what the, the covenants are all about. That's what the promises of God are all about. See, this is, a, is actually a beautiful and a wonderful and a safe place to be, isn't it? Because if you desire the promises of God more, more than anything, you're on safe ground. A sovereign God cannot, cannot make promises that he cannot or will not keep. And Daniel knows that. 
And so he's, he prays because he knows that, that God is a God of promises and he keeps his promises. And so he comes to God in the security of that. And he, he lists his heart's cares and concerns before him. He prays because he knows God is sovereign. And he knows that God always keeps his promises. That's why Daniel prays. But next, Daniel shows us how we approach the king. I could say a whole lot on this point and the next one, but but I'm going to limit myself because, well, we've all been sitting in the sun all afternoon, haven't we? So you're going to get the summer overview, not all the depth. Notice notice how Daniel approaches this this great sovereign God who's who's made promises to his people. Does he come making demands? Does he say we've we've done our time? You know, you said you'd you'd take us back after seventy years. It's it's about time, don't you think? No. Absolutely not. He comes with, with incredible humility and with repentance. He, he, he comes with a heart, uh, the, the, the heart, exact heart that God sent his, his people into exile to develop. Let's look back at, at verses 3 through 8. What, what's Daniel say? He says, I, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And then as you as you hear this confession poured out, O oh Lord, the great and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's very explicit, isn't he? We've sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets who's spoken your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then he says it again, O Lord, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel comes before God with, with great humility, doesn't he? He, he pleads for mercy. This isn't, this isn't what you expect from a, a representative of a, of a nation, is it? You know, usually you, you would kind of, we, we try and excuse away the sins of the past, don't we? But Daniel does, does something that, that surprises us. He makes confession of sin for God's people. And he makes confession for the historic sins of God's people. And actually in our day and age, that's, that's quite a controversial thing, isn't it? There are people who argue that the church should should apologize and, and repent for past sins. While others say that that we didn't have anything to do with that. Because we didn't commit those sins. We shouldn't we shouldn't have to to acknowledge them. Well I think there's there's a, a fair debate there on a certain level. What we see in Daniel is that even even though most of the people who had actually committed those sins against God were long since dead. There was still a debt of sin before God. Those people that came before reflected the, the hearts of, of God's people, and it was, it was ugly, and it was sinful, and it was rebellious. So God's people still needed to turn to God and to confess those sins. It's appropriate at times to confess corporately the sins of God's people, even historic sins that, that you and I weren't personally involved in. And why was that? Well, the reason is because we're, we're talking about a covenant God and his, his relationship to, to his covenant people, a covenant is a sacred agreement between two parties. 
where they agree to do certain things to keep certain promises to one another. And if, if one fails to do so, then, then the penalty is actually death. And Daniel recounts how Israel had, had made promises to, to God and God had made promises to his people. In verse 11, Daniel confesses that, that all Israel has, has transgressed the law of God given through Moses. The, the law of Moses were, were, were covenant documents. They were things the people of God were, were promising to, to be obedient to. They were, they were evidence of, of uh, this, this promise that was made by God to his people. And they, the, the people of God, Israel, had broken every last one of those laws. And the result was exile. But that wasn't the worst bit. The worst bit. And the reason why Daniel prays this prayer was that God's people had lost the presence of God. They could not come before him and worship. And what that meant was that the, the holy places, Jer- Jerusalem, the city of God, and, and, and Israel, the, the people of God, that, that God had placed his name upon, were, were not just in exile, which was bad, but they, they weren't able to do the very thing that God had, had created them and called them to do to serve him, to glorify him, to to be a blessing to the nations by proclaiming his glory amongst them. The people of God living in Daniel's day hadn't, hadn't personally committed those sins. They were the sins of their fathers. But they had a, a calling to acknowledge and to re- repent of those sins because they were under the same curse and, and felt the, the deficit of of the loss of worship. And Daniel, more than, than anyone, felt the deficit in his heart and his life. And that's why, as God's, as God's prophet, he comes before the Lord and he, he confesses the sins of God's people. And my question for us this evening is, do you, do you feel that, that deficit do you feel that, that, that missing piece in your heart that, that, that was made to worship and glorify God? But only no sin, separation, and death. If so, then God, through Daniel's calling us to, to approach Him humbly, and to make confession of your sins and, and to repent before Him. But how do, we come, how do we come before the King? We come humbly, but we see that Daniel also calls us to come boldly, doesn't he? We can come before this righteous God boldly because of, of who he is. Did you notice how Daniel uh, uh, appeals throughout this prayer to the character of God? He can humbly confess the sins of God's people, not only because God had made promises to restore his people, but because he knows God's character. Look at, at verses 18 and 19. These are, these are remarkable words. Uh, if you stop and think about them long enough, they're, they're jaw-dropping, really. What, what, is, what does he say? He says, Oh, oh my God... Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. See, Daniel comes before God because he knows he's, he's merciful. 
it's bold when he prays here, isn't it? He, he says he doesn't pray it out of Israel's righteousness, but out of, out of God's mercy. He, he knows God's character. If God is merciful, then, then for his own sake, for his own glory, God should show mercy and restore his people. That's incredibly bold, isn't it? He's all but saying to, to a holy God that, that we may be sinners, but we're, we're your sinners. And your righteousness is enough and your mercy is enough to even cover and forgive our sins. He asked God to, to act for his own glory, not because Israel has done their time. You know, he doesn't come to him and say, it's been 70 years. That was the sentence. It's time that you, it's time that you release us. Let's get on with it. There's no, there's no hint of entitlement here. But Daniel pleads for God to keep his promises, to forgive sins, and to do it for God's own glory. This is, this is a man who is, was, ha, has bound his own heart to the heart of God. And it's a remarkable way of expressing it, isn't it? And I have one simple ap- application for you from these verses. And that is pray like this. Pray like this. Let Daniel's heart and Daniel's prayer inform your own heart and your own prayers. Be instructed by God's word as Daniel was. Be humble before God as Daniel was. And be bold before God as you see his character and as you find confidence in his great mercy. Come boldly before his throne. Lastly, we see a remarkable and and a stunning answer to Daniel's prayer. And it's, it's remarkable and it's stunning because it's, it's remarkably and stunningly confusing. Uh, but how I understand this, this response is that the answer to our prayers is Jesus. Now Daniel's prayer is interpreted, is, or excuse me, is, is interrupted. Verse 20 says, while he was still speaking uh, and praying and confessing sin and pleading before God that, that he's interrupted by, by, the, by, by Gabriel, God's messenger. It's, and it's worth, fi- worth uh, flagging up this little phrase that Daniel mentions in verse, verse 21, that Gabriel came at the time of the evening sacrifice. In Israel, sacrifices were made twice a day, in the morning and, and in the evening. It was, it's morning and evening worship, kind of like what we uh, do here. But even though, uh, even though the sacrifices couldn't be made, Daniel still followed this, this pattern in his prayer life. I think it's, it's interesting to see that the, the means of grace that God gives his people are still useful for us, even, even if access may be limited. But that's, that's kind of a bit of an aside, but, but it's, a, it's an interesting pattern to see, to reflect upon the means of God's grace. But Gabriel comes and he tells Daniel that he's, he's greatly loved, which is exactly what you want to hear when you're confessing sin before a holy God. You're greatly loved. Then he presents him with this short vision. And this vision encompasses uh, four verses. And it's actually one of the most uh, controversial and perhaps all of Scripture. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson tells uh, the story of Alexander White, who was a a 19th century Scottish minister. And he had a a standing order with his, his local bookseller to deliver to him any commentary that came into his bookshop on the book of Romans. He said that Alexander would, would take uh, the, the book whenever it was delivered, and he'd turn to chapter 7 of Romans, and he would see if the, the person who had written this, this book, whether they believed that Paul was describing his Christian experience or not. 
in Romans chapter 7. And if he found that they, they didn't believe that he was, then he would send that commentary back to the bookseller with a, a note saying that this is not the book for me. And Ferguson's point is that many people will use these four verses in Daniel as sort of the litmus test for orthodoxy. But if you're confused by them on, on first reading, you're not alone. And it's actually quite dangerous and presumptuous to, to build a theology on four verses that aren't, that aren't entirely clear and are, are open to different interpretations. So we can be gracious with one another if we take different views, as long as those views don't fall outside of, of greater biblical orthodoxy. So with that said, here's what I, I think these four verses were meant to, to communicate to Daniel. Daniel is longing for the restoration of temple worship in Jerusalem. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Indeed, God had promised that to his people, that he would restore temple worship. But what God tells Daniel is that something greater than that is coming. The restoration will eventually go beyond temple worship in Jerusalem. He's telling Daniel that ultimately his prayers will be answered in, in the coming of Christ. I won't go into, uh, into a lot of detail for, for the sake of time. We're running out of it. The first thing for us to, to keep in mind, though, is that, that often um, in prophecy, numbers are, are representative and not literal. So the number seven is considered a, a number of completion. It's, it's, kind of a, it's, it's a holy number, if you will. And that's why 70 was, was the length of exile. This vision talks about 70 weeks and then seven weeks, and then seven days. And the vision itself moves in between these, these time periods. Ultimately, though, the vision is about Christ. Because that's what all prophecy is ultimately about. In fact, we, we hear in the book of Revelation, it, it tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That prophecy is all about Christ. You can't ultimately have prophecy that doesn't bring us to Jesus. Indeed, this prophecy does exactly that. And we, we see little pictures of Jesus throughout it. Verse, verse 24 talks about establishing everlasting righteousness and a, a most holy place. Jerusalem would be restored, but that was an interim holy place. Ultimately, this is about the throne of Christ in heaven and an everlasting righteousness, a, a, an everlasting holy place with him. Verse 25 refers to an anointed one, a prince who will come after the restoration of Jerusalem. And, and again, it's, it's good to desire the restoration, but it will be a troubled time and a difficult restoration. But someone is coming that is more important even than the restoration. Verse 26, an anointed one shall be cut off and there will be desolation in Jerusalem. In other words, the world will, will go on as normal. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Jerusalem will be destroyed. And God's people will be persecuted. All things that we see in this day and age and have seen throughout history. And finally, verse 27, we see the, the new covenant in Christ that brings an end to, to, to sacrifices. And we hear of the, the desolation that will come for a time, but God will ultimately bring that time to an end. There's an end for evil because of the new covenant in Christ Jesus who rules and who reigns. And again, it's, it's, it's dangerous to, to push this vision too far. But if we're finding Christ in it, then I, I believe we're on solid ground. 
we can disagree, that's okay, but, but we shouldn't allow these verses that are, are difficult for anyone to understand to divide us. And we shouldn't let it overshadow this, this incredible prayer that Daniel's prayed. Ultimately, the point I'm trying to get us to see here is, I think, correct and is right. And it's critically important for us to accept and embrace that Christ Jesus is the, the full atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of God's people. And Christ is the righteousness that we so desperately need. And Christ is the, the fullness of God's mercy. In Christ we have access to the unending worship of our great God in the most holy and eternal place. And we cannot be separated from God and from Christ by captivity to the, the kingdoms of this world or even ultimately by our own sin. Daniel prays to God for mercy and he's answered with Christ Jesus. Let us pray.